This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on comorbidities. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. Comorbidities are important. According to NICE, two-thirds of people aged 65 years or over have more than one medical condition, and 47% have three or more conditions. So comorbidities present a big problem for the health service, and with an ageing population, this is only going to get worse. To tell us about comorbidities, we have on the line Professor Martin Cowie. Martin is Professor of Cardiology at Imperial College London. And also importantly, Martin has contributed to our new resource, the BMJ Best Practice Comorbidities Tool, which will help healthcare professionals manage patients with comorbidities. So, so Martin, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking you, what exactly are comorbidities? So comorbidities are just medical conditions. And of course, calling it comorbidity means it exists with something else. So if you're, for example, a cardiologist, you might think heart failure is a main problem and the diabetes is a comorbidity. But of course, it's all in the eye of the beholder because if you're a diabetologist, the main problem is the diabetes and the heart failure is a comorbidity. But what it's really recognizing, as you said in your introduction, is that most people that the health service comes to contact with don't have just one problem. They have several problems or multiple problems And that does mean that one has to think a little bit more broadly and holistically about the diagnosis, what you're trying to achieve, and also the interaction between different conditions and indeed different treatments. Excellent. Thank you. And in the hospital inpatient setting, how common are comorbidities in your experience? In the hospital setting, comorbidity is almost universal. I can barely remember the last patient I saw over the age of 60 who didn't have at least two conditions. And most of my patients, as a heart failure specialist, are in their 70s or 80s, and they have five, six, seven, eight, nine different medical problems, um, which makes for interesting medicine. But of course, it does require a little bit of reflection about what you're trying to achieve, what the main problems are, and how to tackle those. And within your practice, within cardiology, what would you say are the, the, what are those six or seven comorbidities that you most commonly see? Well, certainly comorbidities in cardiac practice tend to be conditions that cluster together. Um, so cardiac disease with diabetes, with hypertension, um, also perhaps with dementia and cognitive decline, uh, peripheral arterial disease, often renal dysfunction, almost universal in a heart failure population, for example, and then conditions you know, that might have the same risk factors. So cigarette smoking might lead to atherosclerosis, heart failure, but also chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, often a comorbidity. And then, of course, as one ages, you know, joint problems, movement disorders, frailty, all of it adds up together um, for the individual. Excellent. Thank, thank you. And as one ages, frailty becomes more of a problem. And it seems to be something you read more and more about in the journals and in the literature. Can you tell us more about frailty? 
you're absolutely right. The literature is now getting more and more articles on frailty as a kind of distinct concept, which I think most clinicians can identify. You know, if it takes a long time for the person to get out of the chair and walk across the examination couch, or if the history of multiple falls, you kind of know that they are frail, and it's a really strong marker of a bad outcome. The increased risk of hospitalisation, increased risk of injury, increased risk of things not working as well as they should do, or of side effects being more of a problem. So it's really important to identify frailty. I'm not sure it's strictly a comorbidity. It's a kind of the end result on that person that leads them to have less reserve, less strength to cope with things going wrong. Um, less homeostatic mechanisms. But if you're a care of the elderly physician, of course, you deal with frailty virtually every single patient. But for those that are not care of the elderly physicians, it's, it's important to recognize this. Um, easy to quantify relatively simply, as I said, with just kind of time to get out of the chair or time to walk across the room. Um, and then that's really useful to add to your thought processes about what you're trying to achieve um, and potentially trying to reduce the risk of bad outcomes. Okay, and for a patient who has six or seven comorbidities, how do you decide, well, these are the three or four that I should concentrate on, or or do you, or should you think like that? It's a really good question, and, and actually, for every contact point with somebody with health issues, I think it's important to ask yourself what's important to this individual. So it's not just what's the matter with you, but what matters to you. So I would always start consultation with saying, so how can I help? Uh, with a really open question. So that person can then tell you, these are the main issues for me, or this is what I want to achieve. And then you can think through your very medical lens, well, what are the pathologies I'm dealing with, all of the comorbidities, the frailty, but also the social context and family context of this individual. And then hopefully narrow down what you're trying to achieve together. So it's kind of shared decision-making on on what's important, what you're trying to achieve. Now, for some conditions, for example, cardiac arrest, you know, you get on and you resuscitate the person. There's no issue about what else is going on. This is the main problem. It's overwhelming. For many medical decisions, however, you know, a patient's breathless, or they may say they're not able to do as much as before. You have to understand their description of what's going on and then think about what might be the underlying problems and then think what's reversible, what can I treat, what am I trying to do, what's important not to miss. And then once you've got enough information to help in that equation, you can then discuss it with the patient and come up with a plan that seems to make sense for them. And that's what the art of medicine is, which takes a long time to practice and um, hopefully then leads to a good outcome. And if you look at very skilled care of the elderly physicians, very skilled GPs or people's general experience of complex conditions, they're very good at doing this really quite quickly and coming up with something that's reasonable. But it's not easy. So for anybody that's listening that's only starting out in medicine, don't worry if it seems really overwhelming. It gets better with time, but you do have to think in a broad sense for the individual. What are you trying to help with? Okay, thank you. That's very helpful and very clear. Back to kind of acute medicine and acute admissions. I wonder at what stage during an acute admission should healthcare professionals start thinking about comorbidities? 
I would say you should always be thinking about this. So right from the very first point of contact, you've got to identify, obviously, an immediate life-threatening problem in acute medicine. So, you know, if it's cardiac arrest or respiratory failure or diabetic ketoacidosis, obviously you need to identify that really super quickly and get plans in place to that. But then very rapidly you have to say, okay, that may be the main problem, but what's caused that? What's the context of this? What's going on? Why is this patient on this long list of medicine, which is a usual scenario? What information can I get from the patient, from the family or from friends that are with them to try and put it into broad context as to, the, yes, this is the primary problem, but I mustn't forget about the other things. And the great thing about the, um, the new product from the BMJ is the fact that there are reminders saying this is what you should be doing for this problem, but remember if there's chronic kidney disease or if there's heart failure, then you might have to modify that or watch out for this problem. So I think it's really important modern medicine, which is really multimorbidity all the time, is about these slight caveats to here's the plan A, but just think about it, make sure that you might have to modify that because of some important comorbidity. So right from the get-go, all the way through, don't just be focused on one thing, think about the broader picture. Okay, thank you. And I wonder, when you're on a post-take ward round, what common mistakes do you see when you see junior healthcare professionals looking after patients with comorbidities? What, what are the most common things that they get wrong? Well, I suppose in a way it's a, what you hope to bring to post-take ward round as a more senior physician is fine-tuning of what's happened. So, for example, where comorbidity may have been noticed but not acted on enough, where the monitoring that was put into place is not sufficiently frequent or, or detailed. So, for example, if there's renal dysfunction, be very cautious about fluid replacement. You have to look at renal function, urine output much more closely than you would do otherwise. So it's more fine-tuning of, okay, I agree with your diagnosis, but it's actually in a, in a more complicated context. And your initial plan is fine, but I think we need to fine-tune it or we need to look more closely at the patient. And one of the other things is recognizing the patient is sicker than everybody thought. Are they in the right place of care? Should they be in the general ward? Should they be in level one, level two, level three type care? It's very important. How frequently do we have to monitor vital signs and blood tests? And then, of course, the drug side of things. Um, often patients come in on 12 or 14 different drugs. My job often is to score through many of those that are not necessary. Um, but others that are necessary flag up various different issues that you need to think about. Um, those are the kind of the things that you're trying to pick up and fine-tune on a post-take ward round. And then, of course, time has passed. So if there's some doubt about the diagnosis, it might be clearer now in retrospect, or they're not responding the way that you'd expect them to if that was the right diagnosis. So you might then modify it again. So it's using all of that information together to come up with an even better plan than the one that they've started out on. Okay, thank you. And if you had one single piece of advice to give to junior healthcare professionals about managing patients with comorbidities, I wonder what would it be? I think my single piece of advice would be just take 15 seconds to think, have I got this diagnosis correct? Am I absolutely sure? And do I understand the complexity of this individual? Um, have I missed anything? And instead of just running around, writing things up, ordering tests, 
just spend a few seconds really thinking and challenging yourself. Maybe the answer will be, yes, I think this is fine for now, move on. But just a few seconds of reflection might then enable you to have an even better plan. And I suppose, if I'm allowed a second suggestion, if you're in doubt, ask somebody more experienced than yourself. There's no shame in that at all. Think, have I done the right thing? Do you think I should do something else? Or is this okay? That's the way that we all learn. So remember, you're not on your own. There are other people around. Do ask. Learn even more. But everybody needs to just pause from time to time and think, is this the right course of action? Okay, thank you. That's very clear. And moving from the individual patient to the health service, I wonder what benefits would you envisage for patients and the health service if comorbidities were better recognized and managed in the acute setting? I think there's a lot of research now that shows that where comorbidity is not factored in or where there's not a clear and realistic plan for somebody with multiple medical problems, you tend to end up with very siloed thinking, only focusing on one aspect, which may then actually upset the other aspects of the equation. You also tend to end up with polypharmacy um, with a lot of interactions, potential interactions going on, which may poison the patient. And you also end up with very mixed signals and patients ending up with multiple inputs to their care, sometimes contradictory, a lot of time, lots of specialists, lots of appointments in clinics, and really difficult for the patient or their family or the GP to draw it together and say, okay, this is what we're trying to achieve. So I think with better understanding of comorbidity, we'll get safer outcomes for patients in hospital and high-risk periods. We'll get better use of medication. And I think we'll also get a much better experience for people using the health service. So it seems more coordinated, more coherent, easier to understand what we're trying to achieve. Um, so all of those things, I think, mean that we have to get to grips with comorbidity. It's the modern medicine. It's almost universal. And it's just part of modern life. So we have to get to grips with it. We have to get better with it. And I think NICE producing a document purely on comorbidity um, signals that, that actually we recognize this is a major issue. It's not just a disease focus or an organ focus. Think in the round, think of everything that's involved for that individual and come up with a coherent plan. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think sometimes it's done very, very well indeed. But other times where things seem to be going in too many different tracks at once, we really do need to tighten up our act. Okay, thank you very much, Martin, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at our new BMJ Best Practice Comorbidities tool. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.